at it. Let's talk some TCU football real quick. A uh, An open date last week, another non-conference game this week with the Ponies before getting ready for conference play against Texas uh, in Fort Worth in a couple of weeks. How big is this non-conference game besides the rivalry with SMU? How big is it to for the Frogs as they get ready for league play? Well, I think it's a big deal. It's actually it's been a little while since TCU started the season 3-0. and you know, a few years ago, they lost to SMU. And then last season, kind of wonky with COVID-19. You're starting the year against Iowa State, but they dropped their opener. They got off to a really poor start. And so as far as, you know, exceeding expectations, making your goals, I think getting to 3-0 helps you a lot. Also, like this rivalry, to be honest, I think on the TCU fan side of things, it had been pretty dead simply because SMU had struggled and the Frogs had kind of dominated them over the past decade or so. Uh, but them coming into Fort Worth a couple of years ago and winning that football game, there's been some trash talk this week. They've really been enjoying having the iron skillet for almost two full calendar years now. So I feel like there's a little more extra to this game than there normally would be, which is nice. SMU's a program on the rise. Sonny Dykes has done a nice job there. Um, so it should be a fun one as far as you know winning the rivalry game. That's a big deal. But I think more important is TCU just having some confidence, feeling good, by wrapping up the non-conference slate with a victory and staying undefeated, that would be a nice boost going into the Texas game next week. You know, Stephen, years ago, back in the old Eamon Carter, this was a huge game because it, I remember going to those games as, as a youngster, and it was the only time that the upper deck would have people in it when his SMU came to town. <laughs> Is it starting to lean back toward that? You mentioned because SMU's been doing some trash talking because they've had the iron skillet for a couple of years. But SMU has kind of got – this is the first time in a long time since the death penalty that they've kind of gotten back on track a little bit. I'm not saying they're back, but they're they're playing a lot better at a higher level. Can this grow into that rivalry that it used to be because of that? I think it could. And you're right, Ward. I mean, for, for the longest time, especially since TCU joined the Big 12, I feel like a lot of fans in Fort Worth kind of turned their attention – on the rivalry side, more to Baylor and Texas uh, mm-hmm. as far as the two main teams they want to beat every year. But that's a new win, kind of infuse some juice into this game. They didn't get to play last year. There was some surfing about that. Uh, both schools seem to indicate that, you know, it was it was the other school that didn't want to end up getting the game going. Um, I remember Sonny Dykes put out a video last season. The week they were supposed to play and the game got canceled because TCU had COVID issues. And he was cooking frog legs inside the iron skillet, which was pretty funny. Um, they've had some things to say this week. But the, the program there has done a really nice job. I, I mean, I think they've been trying to do this for a long time. But they finally are starting to um, get that Dallas brand going where, you know, they're the school in the Metroplex, in that side of the Metroplex at least, that they want to keep kids home. They want to keep that talent there. Rashad Samples, the son of Reginald Samples at Duncanville, has done a really nice job on their staff. Um, so this should be a fun game. And I feel like it's good for both schools if that rivalry does kind of blossom and develop back into what it was, even if it's kind of frustrating for TCU because uh, for a while it was kind of an easy check-the-box type of win, and it hasn't been that as of late. With wins over Duquesne and Cal, do you kind of have a sense of where this team is, or do, or do you need to see a, a bigger sample size when it comes to the Frogs? Well, I think you need to see a bigger sample size. Also, I just wonder, I mean, they're still not completely healthy. And 
everybody's always banged up in football. But Kyrie Coleman, one of their best pass rushers, he's been out. Noah Daniels, uh, one of their better corners, he's been out. Their status is unclear for this week. Gary was pretty testy in the uh, Tuesday press conference when he was asked about it, so he's not trying to give out any secrets. Um, but I feel like a big part of that is as far as, you know, what what is this team, who are they, depends on do you get those guys back? If they do come back, what is their role? Are they 100% or better ready to go? Um, you know, Cal is not as good as I felt like they would be going into the season. They came into that game 0-1, and, and, you know, they pushed TCU pretty well before losing. So uh, I don't really think we have a great read on it. I think, you know, one thing that Gary kept saying – leading up to those two games was, hey, we're, we're, we really feel like we're trying to just get through these two games and then get the bye week, and then, you know, a, a new season almost starts the rest of the way, and hopefully we have some guys back. So um, I, I think the defense is young and learning. I feel like the offense has some playmakers, and if they get the ball in the hands of Zach Evans or Quentin Johnston, then they're really dangerous. Uh, but we haven't seen them do that consistently yet, so it's hard to get a read on exactly who they are. Stephen, would it be fair to say, even with all that being said, that this is probably still a defensive-minded, monikered, Gary Patterson football team from that side of the ball, and the defense is going to help the offense out with field position as much as they possibly can because that's just what Gary Patterson does? Or or is this offense starting to be able to stand on its own two legs? Well, I still think they're a defensive first team. I mean, you said that's always what Gary wants to be identified as. Uh, I do feel like the offense is more potent than it's been in past years, and they're able to sustain drives better and put up points on the board um, at a better rate than they have lately. But, yeah, defense is what they hang their hat on. And uh, the last few seasons they've kind of started slow as well. So I expect that to change as the year goes on. But I I still believe that uh, Gary is, at his core, a defensive first coach. He's going to play things conservatively. He wants that unit, you know, deciding the game. And um, that's who they are. And I, I don't really see that changing as far as the identity of the group. Obviously, you got your eye on SMU and TCU. Is, is there another game in the league that uh, that you're going to be keeping an eye on that you're like, hey, you know, if I wouldn't – if this wasn't my game, this would be my game. Man, there's some good ones. I mean, West Virginia coming off that win against Virginia Tech going to OU and, and playing a Sooners team that's kind of limped through the non-conference schedule is super intriguing. And the obviously, like, Iowa State and Baylor. Baylor has looked great. It's been against competition that they should handle pretty easily. Um, they uh, get a victory against a ranked Iowa State team at home. You know, are they competitive in that game? I expect that one to be a close one. Um, and so those would be the two. I think Texas, Texas Tech is also intriguing just because I don't really – understand you know tech is they've won the Florida international but that's another uh team that i don't really feel like has an identity yet so yeah there's a lot of intriguing games i feel like the first week of conference play is always super interesting because you sort of see uh you know things hit the bricks a little bit and you get a better read on everybody but if i had to narrow it down to one or two it'd be ou west virginia and then baylor iowa state Steven, are the Dallas Cowboys on their way to the Super Bowl after beating the Chargers? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, of course. You know, you, <laughs> that way, and then you, just, you just keep it rolling. Um, I will say, like, that was a encouraging win from the aspect of not everything went right for you. Uh, and the defense was able to, to get some stops when they needed to. 
got down the field and, and got that field goal when you had to. But to me, the Cowboys, one, the defense has to be more consistent. And I really like what Micah Parsons brings to that unit. Um, but for all the talk about the offense and how elite they are, and, and I understand like why people are excited about them, and I guess they do have so many weapons. Uh, Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup when he's healthy. You know, Zeke is still someone you have to account for. Tony Pollard made some really nice things happen um, on Sunday against the Chargers. But they just they get bogged down the red zone. They leave way too many points on the board. And, you know, I felt like after that Tampa Bay game, of course the defense needed to be better. But really, in my mind, that game was lost because your special teams unit failed a couple times. And the offense just couldn't, you know, consistently get in the end zone. Like, they just left some points on the board. They did that against the Chargers. That has to get fixed. But, um, and the NFC East appears to be a bad division again. There's a big game against the Eagles on Monday Night Football. Um, Washington's kind of a mess right now. The Giants are a mess. So that's an encouraging thing for the Cowboys. And, yeah, word of course, they're they're on their way to the Super Bowl for sure. (laughs) So... Neil, the linebacker, he, he's gone into COVID-19 protocol, so they're going to be short or could be potentially shorthanded again at linebacker. Uh, do, do you think that that changes Parsons' uh, approach and what they do with him with uh, with them possibly being down a linebacker again? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just a tough thing to answer because he did such a nice job in those pass rushing situations, and they had him there because they were down, you know, Gregory and Lawrence. Do you not have to shift him back over to that linebacker role um, because you're short there? But the great thing about Mike is he just seems super versatile. And, I, you know, I'll be honest, when they picked him on draft night, like I, I felt like, Tom, yeah, that's that's a good pick. That was probably the best player available. But they have to be pretty upset that they didn't get a corner. Um, and I, I think if you asked them that night, honestly, they probably would be. But this has turned out to be a really good addition for them through the first few games of the season. It's also weird to me. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's just because they're not as they're not in a bubble as much as they were last year, but I feel like with the Cowboys especially, like COVID-19 last season was not really an issue as far as guys testing positive, guys missing games. Uh, and I figured with the vaccine and everything available now, that that wouldn't be something that we still had going on. But, of course, now guys are still testing positive, and I understand, you know, some of the science behind that. But it's just it's sort of weird that you got through last year where everybody was so worried about it. Um, with really no problems, and now you're having these issues uh, post, you know, post vaccine and everything else. But um, a big blow for the Duluth County deal. They're a team that can't really afford to, to have, you know, many losses on that defense because they don't have a lot of depth. Stephen, do you think Bones is taking too many chances on defense? And if that continues for the Cowboys, I mean, on special teams, and if that continues for the Cowboys, that could cost them a game down the line. Yeah, I think he's taking way too many chances. I mean, it, it feels like he's telling plays on match. Like, you know, the, the fake field goals, the fake punt, uh, the, the punt block rush. Honestly, I will say, the, the punt block, putting the rush on there, I didn't really think too much of it at the time. But then, you know, as people started to second guess it, I was like, okay, I guess that does make sense. Why wouldn't you just put a return on there and give the offense a chance to work? Um, I don't really understand. I and mean, I think Bones Fossil, he's been around for a long time. He's well-respected. I get like he wants to push the envelope. I just don't understand why Mike McCarthy can't say, hey, like we we can't have this, right? Like if you want to run the occasional fake punt or the occasional special play, that's fine. But 
Um, you know, when we're inside our own territory, like last year, I think it was fourth and ten. They were at their own 30, and they ran that fake punt against Washington. It was a total disaster. And that stuff looks great if it works. But if it doesn't, it just brings a lot of attention to your special teams unit. And, and on, in my mind, that's something Mike McCarthy has to fix. The special teams coach shouldn't have that much sway in, in the play calling. Steven, he can't do that. He's too busy trying to find a clock that works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's hey, what, hey, what are you guys working on uh, on, on your podcast? Yeah, we'll have plenty of coverage of the SMU game coming up. Actually, we do a roundtable with uh, some of the other Big 12 hosts tonight, so that'll be up tomorrow. And it's a lot on Horn Frogs. You can get it anywhere you uh, listen to your podcast. And I'm uh, at Simcox Steven on Twitter if you want to follow me there and, and get the update. Steven, as always, it's a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Always fun talking to you. Talk to you soon. That is Steven Simcox uh, from uh, Locked on Horn Frogs. And, and, and good